Hi everybody and welcome to the first ever The Unofficial Guide to Medicine podcast. My name's Lauren and it's really great to have you all listening in with us. So to kick off this podcast series, we're going to have four different sessions on all things orthopaedic. Our special guest is Mr. Chris G, a consultant orthopaedic surgeon with an interest in medical education. He is the educational lead for the West of Scotland Deanery Trauma and Orthopaedic Rotation, an honorary senior clinical lecturer at the University of Glasgow, and the author of the Unofficial Guide to Medicine radiology series. Today's podcast is going to be on the day of the life of an orthopaedic surgeon, so let's get to it. So, Mr. Chris G, everybody, um, do you want to introduce yourself, Chris? Yeah, sure. So, uh, absolute pleasure to be here uh, talking to you all about what it's like to be an orthopaedic surgeon. Um, it's a career that I absolutely love and enjoy, so um, I really hope that I'll encourage many of you to follow in my uh, footsteps. Um, uh, as you may already know, I'm a consultant trauma orthopaedic surgeon in the west of Scotland, um, and my subspecialty area of interest uh, in orthopaedics is hip and knee surgery, um, particularly joint replacement surgery and soft tissue knee surgery. Um, outside of the orthopaedics of it all, I um, really enjoy uh, education. When I was at medical school, it was the uh, people who um, taught me with the most enthusiasm that got me interested in, in what I, I do now. Um, and when you compared that to the people who weren't very uh, enthusiastic at teaching, should we say, you know, it made such a big difference um, to what I felt I got out of the session um, that I you know, always remembered that and wanted to try my best to replicate that when I became a consultant. I think you always find that with a mentor, don't you? You always find that person that kind of inspires you to what you want to do with your career. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And I don't know whether it's just because you find, you know, the, the people who've already gone down the career path that's suited to you, have there's a personality match there or, or whether it's just, you know, that particular person that you come across is, you know, provides that enthusiasm. I, I, I don't know really, but, um, but yeah, no, that's, that's what it is. Fabulous. So today's episode is going to be on a day in the life of an orthopaedic surgeon. Um, so I thought we'd start right at the beginning. Um, what is your morning routine like? My morning routine is, is normally started by my uh, six-year-old daughter who uh, wakes up far too early every day, uh, normally comes through and wakes us up demanding the iPad uh, or the TV remote uh, or both or breakfast, one of, one of the three anyway. Um, and uh, that tends to get me out of bed so that, that it doesn't really matter what I'm doing but most of the time that's what's going to wake me up so six, six o'clock in the morning regardless of whether I'm operating or in clinic or whatever it's the, it's the child that wakes me up um, <laughs> and then yeah I mean the most most uh, orthopedic days really start run from eight till five so I know uh, some medical specialties are nine to five but um, if I've got a theatre list, I'd aim to be in the hospital by half seven, seeing the patients, marking them, consenting them, making sure they're ready for theatre, trying to get that theatre started on time so we can make the most of the, the day. Um, and if it's a clinic day, I can maybe be a bit lazier, have a coffee at home, but take a bit longer with breakfast, time with the family and, and get in and make sure the clinic's ready as well. Make, make sure I have a good start to the day. In terms of your hours, you say about clinic days and you say about um, days where you have a theatre list. Um, what kind of structure of your week? Do you have more clinic or do you have more theatre? So um, it varies a little bit depending on how, many, um, how much work you take on as a consultant. But for your standard kind of new consultant contract, it's expected that you'll have one and a half days worth of clinic, a day of uh, operating 
and uh, a day of admin, ward rounds, and all that kind of stuff. So it really works out about three and a half days out of your average week uh, is work. The reason for that is that it then allows for flexibility to take into account all the on-call work that you do, which is much more labor intensive. So yeah, so a day and a half a week I get, get off basically, which is, which is great. And is that the time that you spend doing all of your med ed kind of stuff? So how do you fit that into your week? Yeah, so I mean, the med ed stuff is, is, is definitely voluntary and, and on top. And, and maybe with time we'll get recognised um, with from a salary point of view. So consultants work based on the number of sessions that they do. And a session is basically four hours of work. Um, and you can get additional sessions depending on what you do. There are the um, professional activity sessions, what we call PAs. Um, and they are the ones that, uh, you know, your direct clinical care, your clinic, your theatre, so on and so forth. Um, but obviously, you know, you need to do stuff to support that professional activity. So that's your SPA. And most new consultants start on having one session of SPA time. But if you're doing lots of different things like teaching, um, then maybe you can apply for a second uh, SPA session to allow you to do that work in a more structure, structured way. But at the moment, it's just ad hoc. It's because I choose to do it. I suppose you get that flexibility when you become a consultant. You do get to kind of, um, you're allowed to choose a little bit more what you do and what you specialise in. So in terms of what you actually see when you get to work, um, so in terms of what you actually see in your clinic and see in your theatre, what kind of pathologies do you see on a regular basis? Uh, so trauma and orthopedics obviously covers um, trauma, so lots of broken bones, common broken bones or broken hips, um, broken ankles, broken wrists, paediatric fractures. From my subspecialist area of interest, I see a lot of knee trauma um, and a lot of my colleagues will refer the knee trauma to me for an opinion. They think it probably needs something doing, but they're not 100% sure. And I may have, as an area that I'm particularly interested in, some of the sort of most up-to-date or subspecialist uh, knowledge as to what should and shouldn't be operated on or you know perhaps a bit more comfortable doing a particular operation so they might ask me to do it uh, on their behalf and then from an orthopedics point of view um, it's uh, arthritis is obviously one of the biggest uh, conditions that we we see a lot of so hip and knee arthritis uh, but I also treat a lot of sports injuries so people who've had twisting injuries to their knee torn their anterior cruciate ligament uh, torn their meniscus in their knee that sort of thing What's the best bit of your day? Best bit of my day? Um, I think, I have to be honest, I like operating the most. I always enjoyed being in a, in a theatre environment. I found it a, a, a fun and interesting place to work. I think first year of medical school when we did anatomy, I didn't really understand the relevance of the anatomy we were learning. We were just looking at, um, we didn't even get to do dissections. We were just looking at prosections. And it didn't really make any sense what, what I was looking at in terms of pathology. So when you're in theatre and you're seeing that anatomy and you understand how relevant that anatomy is to the management of a condition, it made me become much more interested in surgery and anatomy. Um, and then um, I guess there's a great satisfaction in, in using lots of power tools and using screws and plates to fix bones or you know, replacing someone's hip in the back of your mind whilst the operation's fun you've always got that satisfaction and knowing that if you do a good job and try your best that um, the likelihood is the patient's going to have a good outcome from it as well so it's quite satisfying.
Yeah, I think that that definitely is the best part of the job, knowing that you are making a difference on a more personal level as well. Um, to go back to what you said about the anatomy, I think it is so hard for medical students to kind of put it all together and see the proper outcome when they are just looking at textbooks and like pro sections. So I think it is definitely interesting to see that progression with your career, with how, what you can kind of learn in medical school and then apply to your day-to-day -day job. It makes it seem like we're all doing it for a reason. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, uh, I'd encourage all medical students to try and, and get to theatre. I mean, I'm sure it was on one of the unofficial Guide to Medicine webinars where someone was saying how they were you know, getting grilled by a consultant in theatre and, and how terrifying it was. But actually that consultant probably just thinks, oh, here's a really interested medical student who wants to learn and, and it's fantastic. And they probably don't realise they might be slightly intimidating as a consultant and they're probably just enjoying having a student to teach. So, um, you know, get, in, get out there, get involved, get into theatre, uh, ask all those uh, questions that uh, you have burning in your mind. Um, don't be afraid to ask the questions. There's no such thing as a stupid question or a silly question, I should say you've got to remember is that the consultant in front of you used to be a medical student and probably still feels like a medical student a good portion of the time, probably still questions what they're doing, you know, whether they have the ability to do it. So whilst they may seem, you know, older and wiser and out of touch, they are, they're just the same as you, just, just the, the other side of training, really. They're still, still a person at the end of the day. Yeah, so I've just finished my second year and I've been really fortunate that I did get to have one session in theatre and the consultants mm -hmm. I spoke to were absolutely lovely and they answered all of my questions and I found that was a really good learning experience from that. Obviously, I hope that I'm going to get more experience in theatre, but I think we'll see. The orthopaedics that you got to in, in, enjoy? Unfortunately, it wasn't. I know. I was in um, urology, actually. Um, okay. Urology surgery. It was really cool though, um, and it definitely piqued my interest within a surgical basis. Um, I'm sure orthopedics is a much more exciting surgery to be involved with. I, I mean, I'm very biased, and obviously, absolutely love um, everything we that we do. But I think any any specialty where you get to use your hands and you know make people better in a very kind of visceral, tactile way is is really really rewarding. So do you ever get to see the patients after theatre? I realise obviously you do like a post-theatre um, like check on them, um, but do you ever get to see them three months down the line? So in arthroplasty, we used to follow them up quite regularly for a long period of time, but because the evidence says that they generally do really well, or if they're not doing well, they'll pick up the phone. We tend to get to, uh, in some hospitals, you'll see them once around six weeks or three months. And other than that, you might not see them at all. In some places, you don't see them at all because they have a specialist nurse team that will follow up all the patients for you and they'll, they'll only contact you if there's a problem with your patient. So it's definitely the most valuable use of your time because you know it, it's lovely having a patient come in and tell you how wonderful you are and, and that you've changed their life. There's no doubt that feels good, but it's not particularly cost-effective for the taxpayer in terms of the use of your time. So yeah, you do get a little bit less of that. So you kind of have to rely on the fact that you know that the procedure you're doing works. And obviously you see them on the ward, you see their initial um, recovery from these operations. Yeah, occasionally you get to, well, you get to see them less and less overall, but um, you see them enough that you do get that reward. 
Brilliant. I think an important thing to consider, obviously we've been through the kind of best parts and the bits that you enjoy, but it's also important to consider the bits you find the most challenging. So what would you consider to be the most challenging aspect of your day? Probably uh, just managing the admin side of things. So there's, there's a huge amount of administrative stuff that you have to sort out for your list. So for, for one particular case, you might need to make sure that all the equipment's there. Uh, you might need to make sure the staff have been trained on it that you're allowed to use it, that the hospital will allow you to, to bring in that kit. If it's uh, something you don't use very often or it costs a lot, there might be paperwork that you need to fill out for that. Um, you might need to make sure that the rep's gonna be available to be there. It may be that they're only there for a part of the day, so then you have to organize the, the, the whole of your list around these different aspects. So, you know, the admin side of things can be quite uh, time consuming. Uh, but it's a, it's a necessary part of the job. If it allows you to get to do the things you get to do, then that's important. And a lot of the time, the admin is responding to you know email referrals from colleagues or queries from patients. Um, and if you do that um, and do that in a timely fashion, then you know the patients do do quite like that. They're getting that support even if they're not seeing you face to face. So we've considered what you kind of do on your average day to day basis in terms of your your work. But outside of your work, what kind of things do you get up to? Do you have any hobbies that you like to do? Yeah, I suppose I've got a few hobbies. So um, family obviously comes first and spend a lot of time, you know, just as anyone would with wife and, and a child going off and going on walks and uh, going to different places in Scotland. There's lots of lovely countryside. So you know, just yesterday we were down in a, in a, a seaside village called Largs. Um, grounds of a castle or just, you know, play park just a nice time it's pretty wet but it's still a good time nonetheless other than that i play the drums i have a drum kit in my garage at home which i'm sure my neighbors love uh, <laughs> and, um i've moved into a new build house so i've got like a basically a, a garden to to build from scratch so that's quite it's quite fun just slowly slowly getting things in the different different things that i want to plant and look after at different parts of the garden so it's quite nice so that's it really simple things that sounds really nice and um, do you play your drums in a band or do you just play them for fun just for fun i was in a band at uh, medical school but we were terrible and um and that's that's the end of end, end of that uh, story yeah um during training it was more difficult to have a drum kit because we were moving around and living in flats so the drum kit was something i had that i knew i wanted for a long time and as soon as we moved into a detached house and and we were settled I was able to encourage a Christmas gift of a drum kit to myself. So would you consider your work-life balance to be a good balance? Uh, yeah no I think so I think there's a, there's definitely um, times where I do too much work and some of that's out of choice and some of it's too much teaching and things around teaching but overall I think I have a good balance it, the job gives me the satisfaction that I want and it means that, that I still have enough time to spend time with my family afterwards. In terms of the hours, they're not too arduous. So even the on-call work isn't too exhausting. So that means that I don't feel too tired to enjoy the spare time I do have with my, with my family. I get a lot of annual leave, I get study leave. It's great. So in terms of your general day, is there anything that you would do to improve it, to make it better for you? 
the thing with that, like operating or clinic or anything is the processes and and you know they're not smooth there are always hiccups along the way you know patients being cancelled at the last minute not having the right kit kit's not sterile you know they're just frustrations that can occur on a fairly regular basis but so just to, to have the perfect day you just want to have everything kind of working you know you start on time all your cases get done uh, all the equipment worked, you know, there's no issues, all the operations went as, as well as you could possibly hope and felt good at the end. And you know, you're left with that warm, warm feeling that you've a job well done really. But sometimes you don't get that. Um, but it's quite a complex thing to try and improve those processes because there are so many factors at play, many of which are human factors and are not easy, easily addressed. But you know, you can try and make lots of small, slow, steady changes over time. And that's just, I guess, part of being a consultant. Yeah. So is there anything you do when you do have those frustrations? Is there any way that you manage those? Well, I just try and try and resolve the issue rather than just get frustrated and angry. Um, you know, think of solutions rather than, than complaining about the problem. You know, what can we do to make it better? Um, and that seems to be a good outlet for some of that frustration rather than letting it build up inside. Yeah, I think that definitely is an important part of the job, knowing where to go to when you have concerns and knowing where to go to when you have problems and resolving them. Especially as a consultant, you need to have those leadership skills as well. Well, you also have to have good colleagues. So you need to think about where you're working in terms of the colleagues that you'll be working with and how they'll support you and how you can support them and how you gel as a, as a unit. And that's quite important for getting that support. Um, is there anything else you'd like to cover about your day-to-day -day life? No, I don't think so. I think, um, I guess it, I could talk a little bit more about, um, uh, you know, what I do in clinics. So um, clinics often are all day and a mixture of new patients and review patients. So the new patients will be people who've been in pain for a long time, mostly looking to have their hips or knees replaced or they're younger sporty people who can't do the things they want to do and they're looking for me to do something to make their knees stable again so they can do their twisting sports. Um, and it's about talking through what the problem with them, educating them about the problem, um, giving them an understanding of what their options are, and then um, talking about what we call a shared decision-making process. So you know, there's no definite in orthopedics. It's not like we're treating cancer although there obviously are some um, bone tumor surgeons out there but most of the time it's about improving people's quality of life and empowering your patients to make the decision as to what they want to happen to them I think is really important so that the, what we do in clinic is really give them all the information that they um, need to make a, a shared decision with you as to what the best treatment is for them as an individual and I think that's quite a rewarding process to go through because when you get it right and the patient buys into the procedure or, or also if the patient identifies that actually, you know, the surgery that they thought they might want isn't something that they want after all, um, then that feels like it's been a worthwhile process to go through. So that's clinic in terms of the new patients and the review patients that we see, uh, like I said before, they're the ones that generally have something um, that's not quite right. Um, so often a bit more challenging in terms of you spend a bit of time thinking, well, I did what I thought was best and what I thought the evidence would say was, was best, but it hasn't worked in this patient. So, you know, what do I need to do or what can I think of doing to try and improve the situation? And it's quite hard because you want to imagine that you're going to have a hundred percent 
success rate with the things that you do. Um, but that's absolutely not the case. You know, no surgeon is perfect. If a surgeon tells you they've had no complications, they're lying. Um, we all have complications. And, um, and also dealing with the fact that the patient's outcome hasn't necessarily matched their expectations can be difficult um, because they don't always do as well as they would like to do. And sometimes there's nothing new as a surgeon can do about it. And operating on them again and again and again can be very much the wrong thing to do. Um, so again, I guess the satisfaction in that comes through investigating them thoroughly and making sure your communication is really good through that process so that you know, if you do find that there's something you can do to make them better, that they buy into that, given that the first thing you've tried as their surgeon hasn't worked, they still you know, want to come back to you for another operation. Um, or similarly, if you think that there's nothing that you can do to make them better or that there's something that they need to do themselves, such as physio, um, that they can buy into that. I think that must be so difficult, though, to kind of be humble and own up to your mistakes when you make them. It must be quite a difficult process. If you know that you've tried your best and you, you know, do your best when you're in the operating theatre or if you're in clinic, then it's actually really easy because you're not owning up to the fact that you haven't tried your hardest. You're just owning up to the fact that the patient hasn't had the outcome that you would have hoped and that they would have hoped. Um, and they say that surgery is lifelong learning. And so as, as a fairly new consultant for me, really, I've got still got a lot of learning to do um, in terms of what happens with my patients. So I think that's quite um, important to bear in mind. I think that is such a healthy approach to have, to know that you still need to improve. And there's always those kind of areas that you can look at and think, oh, what could I do differently? What could I do better? And I think that is kind of a nice outlook to have as a doctor or a surgeon. We get taught about reflective practice a lot in medicine and the key to, I guess in medical school and as a junior doctor, you do a lot of reflective practice um, in your portfolio and so on and so forth. And it's often asked about in interviews, you know, how did you reflect on something that went wrong, for example, or, you know, a conflict that you had with another colleague or, or you know, a difficult patient, that kind of thing. Um, and I think that, just continues and consultants have to do an annual appraisal where they have to show that they've reflected on not just what's gone well but on things that haven't gone well um, and I think that's a very healthy and important part of being a doctor regardless of what specialty you're going to. Brilliant so thank you so much for being the guest on today Chris. Um, I've definitely got a more insight into the day-to-day -day life of being an orthopaedic surgeon and we've got three more podcasts left, so I'm sure that you will be sharing much more knowledge with us across those three podcasts. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We're going to have three more podcasts with Chris, so make sure you tune in next week for the next instalment, which will be on a career as an orthopaedic surgeon. We are advertising all of these podcasts on our social media, so definitely go and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook to keep up to date. See you next week.